Welcome to the Wild Abide Podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Allness. I am so excited to lead you on this journey of shaking off shame, stirring up hope, and running after our dreams together. Let's go. Hey friends, today is July 30th, which is World Day Against Sex Trafficking. In honor of that, I invited my friend Nicole Phillips on to talk about the ministry that she runs, which is Lavished, and they are a nonprofit that works with women in the sex industry in the panhandle of Florida, but she also is a phenomenal resource and advocate and wealth of information on sex trafficking in all areas. And so I know that you are going to be inspired and challenged and hopefully empowered to make a real difference in your community by listening to this episode. We want to make sure that if the Lord is burdening your heart for sex trafficking, that you're getting good information. It's coming from a genuine, truthful place, and it's coming from people who are on the ground working with women and children every single day to help them live a life of freedom physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all areas. We really believe in this. Both Nicole and I run strip club outreaches. We have been doing this for years and connecting with women in the legal side of the sex industry, but also have been advocates against sex trafficking and all sexual exploitation in all forms. So we're coming together for this very real shop talk about all things sex trafficking and exploitation. We are so excited to bring this episode to you. We're going to have tons of resources in the blog post that goes along with this episode and in the show notes. So be sure to check that out if you want resources on how to get involved, how to give to Lavished. Any of that is all going to be right over in the blog. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nicole. Welcome, Nicole, to the Wild Abide Podcast. It's so fun to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here through through a virtual situation because we can't actually meet in person right now. No, definitely. I, I'm not going to Florida right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I can't say I blame you, <laughs> to be honest. Right. The world is, is super crazy, and that's part of why I wanted to have you come and chat because we're... We're going through a really weird time in the world. Um, coronavirus, racial reconciliation conversations, now um, sex trafficking, conspiracy theories. And I think everyone's trying to kind of untangle mm-hmm. what's actually happening and what's going yeah. on in the wild west of the internet. Yeah, 2020 has been wild. So wild. And so I just wanted to hear some of your advice, some of your story. Um, Here's some more about the work that you do with Lavish. So if you just wouldn't mind maybe starting by telling a little bit of your background and how you got started with Lavish. Sure. So I was 17 years old watching TV at midnight one night, and I came across this woman who had pink hair, 
And I noticed it was on a, a Christian television network. So, you know, I make a habit age 17 of watching faith-based syndicated shows. But nevertheless, I thought her, her hair was pretty. So I turn up the volume and start listening to her. She was sharing her story about how she was an escort in Las Vegas. And um, really all of the the trauma that came with her time working in the adult industry. Um, she was working as a dancer and then eventually became an escort and then eventually was trafficked and um, just a lot of stuff that came with working in the adult industry as a whole. And so uh, she talks about how she overdosed one night and that was a, a pivotal moment in her story where she just decided, you know, I'm worth more than this. I want to live my life for God. Let me, you know, I, I want to change my life and do something different. So uh, that led her on a healing journey. And uh, she had mentors and a church family that took her under their wings and, and discipled her. And now she leads one of the largest, um, one of the most far reaching, one of the really one of the forerunners in this movement. Um, was her. Her name is Annie Lobert, and she's in Las Vegas. She has an organization there and operates two safe homes for women who are wanting to leave the sex industry or women who have been victims of trafficking. Sometimes those overlap and sometimes they don't. So um, seeing that at age 17, seeing her on TV and hearing her heart, sharing her story, I just felt an immediate draw to it. And that sent me on a journey of, of researching, like, what is this? Like, I want to reach women in the adult industry. I have such a heart for this. It feels, it feels so, um, I just feel so drawn to it. I can't really explain it, but I had never felt that way about anything else. And I'm the type of person that I will pick up something for two weeks, four weeks, and then I'll drop it. But this was one thing I was, I, I was very consistent with. So, um, because of my consistency and, um, desiring to get into this field, I thought, okay, I feel called to, to ministry. So I'm going to go to Bible college. So I go to Bible school for four years. I tried to move to Las Vegas and every time fell through. I had jobs that fell through. I had roommates that fell through. I had housing that fell through, blah, 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 blah. After four years, I have a theology degree. I'm sitting in the office with my pastor and his wife crying you know, woeing to them, hey, you know, pastor, I have tried for years to move to Las Vegas because I know that I know that I know I'm mm -hmm. called to this work, but every door keeps getting slammed in my face. And it literally, as those words came out of my mouth, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he said, Nicole, before you can have a burden for someone else's city, you have to allow me to give you a burden for your own city. And it was in that moment Oof. where the Lord started softening my heart for my own backyard for my city. And what do you know, there was no one at that time in our city who was reaching women in the sex industry or adult female survivors of trafficking. So here we are almost six years later, still doing this crazy work and loving every minute of it. I love that. Oh, it's so good. And can you explain the two different sides of what you do with Lavished, um, both working with women in the adult entertainment industry and specifically um, sex trafficking survivors? Sure. How they so intersect and don't. Yeah. So we work with adult female survivors. That's our scope. We do not work with children. Um, so that's our, that's our focus as an organization, not saying if a child came to us by happenstance, if a man came to us by happenstance, we're, we're going to, we're going to 
help or we're going to find referrals. We're going to do something. We're not just going to mm-hmm. drop that. Right. Yeah. Um, but within our scope of our organization, we're focused on adult women. So the distinction is this, is if you're looking at the laws, right. And every state law is fairly the same. The federal law covers us all. There's, there's two sides of this. It's, you know, if, if a person over 18 is doing a commercial sex act, you have to prove that there was forced fraud or coercion to actually label it trafficking because they're over 18. However, if they are under 18, forced fraud or coercion does not have to be proven. All you have to show is that there was an exchange of something of value for a sexual service. So, mm-hmm. so you know, let's say I have a 12 year old girl and she's hungry. And she's willing to, you know, give a sexual service to a man for a cheeseburger. She was just trafficked. Yep. Okay. But if I have an adult in that same scenario, you have to prove that she was forced to do that sexual service. There was fraud involved or there was coercion. She was coerced to do a sexual service for something of value. So those are the two main distinctions as it comes to trafficking between minors and trafficking Mm -hmm. to adults. Um, Now, The other distinction is sex trafficking versus the sex industry. So obviously we know just by what I said that any minor, any juvenile in the sex industry doing sexual things for profit is automatically considered a victim of sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. You know, we shouldn't be arresting 13 year old girls for prostitution. Okay. They are now seen in the eyes of the law as a victim of trafficking. Um, So in my personal opinion, and some people will differ with me on this, I believe that the sex industry, in its inherent nature, is exploitation. And this is why. It's because even if a, a woman is not being quote-unquote trafficked, I believe there was something in her life, some vulnerability, that led her into sex work. Now, some people, like I said, may disagree with me on that. Um, But in six years, I have never met one sex worker who did not have childhood trauma, who who did not struggle with poverty, who was not a single mom trying to provide for her kids, who was not late on bills, you know, trying to recoup money to to pay past due balances. I have never met one woman in six years. Sure, she may not have been trafficked. She may not be trafficked right now, but there is something in her life that is holding her bondage to the sex industry. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Working with women in the strip club too, you know, you see that, you see the insane statistic connections between Mm -hmm. childhood abuse and current work in the sex industry. And it's, it is tied. It's so tricky because it's, it's very it's tricky. so tied. But then also when you're working with women who are in that position and who are, are working in the legal side of the sex industry, there is a lot of an aversion to being labeled a victim. As a victim. Oh, of course. And I can't say I blame them. I, yeah. I don't want to be labeled a victim. And you know, when we go into the strip clubs and same thing with you, Olivia, is mm-hmm. we don't go in there with the filter of seeing these women as victims. No, no. Like, no, are you kidding me? Like, that's offensive, first of all. You can't. And, and no. it's not true all the time. So so we go in there with the intention, with the filter of love. 
However, if a woman approaches us while we're in there or while we're meeting her for coffee the next week and Mm -hmm. says, Hey, you know, I do want a new career or, Hey, you know, I, I think I am being pimped out or, Hey, I I'm with a a domestic partner who is abusing me. Um, we're going to help her. Yeah. So totally. I kind of explain to people that it's like a Venn diagram. Okay. And there's like an overlap between trafficking and the legal side of the sex industry. And I know for, for us in what we can do in, in our position is I'm like, will we cover anything that's in this legal side of the sex industry. Exactly. And yeah. that's going to have some overlap. That's good. Um, that homelessness, drug addiction, yeah. single parenthood, like tra- totally. trafficking, other things that relates. Now the statistics, you know, they, they say this is actually from the U S department of justice. Mm-hmm. They, they made a report in 2014, 70% of females who are trafficked are trafficked into the commercial sex industry. What yeah. does that mean? That means trafficked females are hanging out at strip clubs they're on Mm -hmm. porn sets they're they're a part of escort services they're at the uh, massage parlors like that's where they are you know so of course we're gonna run into that doing the work we do totally totally it's it's such a distinction I know one question that has come up um from someone else that I heard that I thought was a really good one okay is they said that they're like I feel like people are always saying it doesn't look like what you think it looks like mm. when it comes to sex trafficking as a whole, whether with minors or adults. Yeah. Um, they keep hearing that phrase like, oh, it's not what the media says it looks like. It's not what people say. But they're like, but what does it look like? Yeah. If it's that's not what media portrays it to be. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's a hard question sometimes to answer because mm-hmm. it looks different in every situation. Yeah, you know, um, it really does. But where are you going to find people who are vulnerable to being trafficked or exploited? Um, well, statistics tell us it's foster care. Mm-hmm. It's it's children who run away from home. Um, but not only that, though, there's a new tactic now in this digital age where your cell phone, your child's cell phone, yeah. is the perfect avenue to be groomed and eventually become a trafficked person. Mm-hmm. So. It looks so different. That's such a broad question. It's, it's hard for me to answer because, yeah. yeah, there are children who are kidnapped and sold or abducted. But in a first world country like America, we're talking less than 2%. Yeah, that's not yeah. what makes up our, 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 our trafficking um, situation here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more so manipulation, psychological abuse, and coercion. It's, yeah. it's a strange man start, starting to text your kid on the cell phone. And after a while, he, he says that he wants pictures of your child. And then once your child sends them pictures, he holds them as blackmail and says, I'm going to tell your parents, I'm going to tell your youth pastor if you don't send me a video. Like, mm-hmm. that's where coercion t- takes place and, and, and trafficking can ensue. So it's a hard question to answer. But, but personally, I, I've, I've. I've worked in this field, not super long, but, but over six years. Mm -hmm. And I've never had a woman who, who was chained up in a basement, who was kidnapped, um, who was taken over international borders to be trafficked. Mm -hmm. People are trafficked in their own homes. People are trafficked in their own towns. Um, and it's, it's hard to spot. It it really, it really is. Unless you're in a human service profession or Mm -hmm. unless you, 
have been through an in-depth training of specific red flag indicators. Yeah. Can we talk about the difference between an in-depth training and uh, internet memes? (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. You know, like I... I know I've been seeing that I feel like people are wanting to get educated based on Instagram posts or Facebook posts. And what I've found is that the in-depth trainings I've attended from service providers, um, it is, especially for service providers, is a different level of intentionality than what I've really seen online. I know that there are some online resources too. So if you even would if you have any in mind too. Yeah. So, um, there's so many lanes you can go into when you're talking about assisting with the trafficking movement, you have prevention, you have awareness, Mm -hmm. you have residential care, you have outreach, you have policy, you have, you have so many different avenues. You have the demand side. I mean, goodness, if if men weren't buying sex in our country, there would Mm -hmm. be no need for trafficked children and women. So, um, There's so many avenues. I highly recommend going to RebeccaBender.org and taking the Find Your Lane quiz. Um, there's also a free course. Yeah. Um, and it's all about finding your lane in this movement. Go there. Um, it gives you basic education, but that course and that quiz is really directed to helping you narrow down your scope because everyone everyone wants to help trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a girl right now. I have a woman. I have a friend who has said for, for many years, I want to be in the trafficking movement. I want that to be Mm -hmm. my full-time job. Like every stepping stone in my life has led me to help in a residential care facility. Okay. She just got hired two months ago at a residential facility, um, helping juvenile girls ages 11 to 17. She's an Mm -hmm. RA. It's nothing like she was expecting. Yeah. And so she's calling me and crying and saying, you know, Nicole, like, are all places like this? Like, I thought I was going to be rescuing people. I thought that that these girls would be so grateful that someone came to save them from their abuser. I'm like, no, girl. Are you kidding me? They're in love with their abuser. You are the yeah. bad guy. You are taking them from the one person in their life they felt safe with. Mm. Okay? Even though it doesn't matter they were beating them. It doesn't matter that, that there was abuse and exploitation and trafficking. No, you are the bad guy because you took them from the one person they were in love with and that they called daddy that they called safe mm-hmm. so um it, it's not it's not the rainbows and butterflies you think it's gonna be it's people yeah. cussing you out it's yeah. people i've been swinged on before my girls <laughs> like i'm trying to help you like but it's it's tough trauma is a real thing mm-hmm. and um unfortunately instagram and facebook and social media you can't you can't get trained and educated by, you know, 10, <laughs> 10 uh, infographs, okay? Yeah. Um, there's many free trainings online. I would I would suggest go to RebeccaBender.org first, mm-hmm. take that course. Um, and actually, as you're taking the course, it gives you references for free training. Um, so that, that would be my my first step I would, I would refer people to. I will link everyone to Rebecca. She's fantastic. I actually just signed up for her free course. I haven't taken it yet, but I... Yeah, yeah. Have uh, signed up for it because I was like, this seems like a really cool way to make it um, just attainable for people and help them kind of narrow down because the issue is so broad and it's so connected Mm -hmm. to so many different things. And so it bleeds into so much, you know, I, I think of like myself as a, as a youth leader, how, Mm -hmm. 
Like yeah. there's a yeah. ton of Ooh, areas that's a, whether... that's a whole training in itself, right there oh, yeah. is for, for people in ministry. Like seriously, that's a whole that's a whole training right there. Yeah. There's there's I know one that's actually coming up from Shared International that they're doing a faith church uh, ministry training. The just is it the just conference? I don't think it is, but okay. I know they're doing like a a small training coming up. So I'll also oh. link that. Yeah. Um, and it's specifically for people in church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And church yeah. Leaders. So there's a million different realms and there's a million different ways for people to get involved in their community. And it might not look like a flashy anti-trafficking badge. And one thing I will add to that, Olivia, is that by sharing information uh, that's sometimes on social media false, mm-hmm. you are actually contributing to the misidentification of victims. Because people yeah. see that. People see these sensationalized images and these horrible statistics that are not valid. Like, like cite your sources. Because some of these things being shared are so out of left field and incorrect. Um, so when you share stuff like that, and it's going to all of your friends and then some of your friends share and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. People see that people, people see it as truth. Law enforcement sees that sometimes as truth. So mm-hmm. service providers you have on your Facebook page, you know, you know, advocates like, like people who, who we should be trusting to know the signs of trafficking mm-hmm. sometimes don't know the signs of trafficking. This is still a new movement in the U.S. Yeah. So we have to give people grace, but do not contribute to spreading misinformation because you are then contributing to victims not being properly identified. And that bothers me. <laughs> okay. And there's a few hot button topics that I think we should hit. When we oh, yes. Oh, we're mentioning okay. this. Okay. Um, first one I want to touch base on because I know it was one that I was like, I'm feeling a little irritated, so I'm just going to go to a trusted source of it. The whole controversy of does masks make girl, like children more at risk for trafficking? Talk about, okay. let, let's talk about what are the real um, added risk factors in COVID-19 okay. that are contributing to, to trafficking and what are not actually risk factors and they're just social media hype. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a good question. It's so it's so, you know, that information is so needed right now because mm-hmm. I've seen exactly what you're referring to on Facebook specifically. So traffickers have been sending their victims without mask into society forever. <laughs> okay. Like, like, like traffickers, their victims are out in the open. Okay. Yep. Like I said, they're not usually, I'm not saying all the time, but they're not usually being hostage. And I don't want mm-hmm. to diminish um, the stories of survivors who that was their story, that they were kidnapped, yeah. they were held hostage. Um, I actually just watched a documentary just last night with a woman sharing her story, and that was a huge part of her story. So I don't mm-hmm. want to diminish that. However, um, I would say instead of instead of our focus being just on that, it should be more broad. Um, I mean, I, I know stories of traffickers, they would go shopping every Sunday at Walmart with mm-hmm. their victims like they're not wearing like so the whole mask thing of it's gonna be so much easier for traffickers to hide their victims under these masks i mean it may be true but then again when you look at like how trafficking works victims are all around us all the time without masks pre-covid so yeah. i don't think this is gonna be a thing you know what i mean 
Mm -hmm. I went and just messaged uh, a child protective services worker mm -hmm. in my town who I know has been through good anti-trafficking training. Yeah. I've been with her in the training. Sure. <laughs> I messaged her and I was like, hey, what what are your thoughts at CPS? Like, yeah, it's good. What are, is this something you guys are concerned about? And she absolutely just was going back. She's like, we know the risk factors for sex trafficking. Yeah. And they are foster care and mental health and isolation and poor supervision and poverty, poverty. And yeah. like masks during a pandemic are not a concern for us or for law enforcement or for anyone actually doing the work on the ground. They just mm. aren't that big of a concern. Mm -hmm. Much bigger fish I, to fry. I would agree with that. I would completely agree with that. I feel like we're so focused as Americans on, you know, the less than 10% population where we should be focused on the 90%. And, um, and, and, you know, people have a heart for children. Children are innocent. Children deserve society to protect them mm -hmm. and to nurture them and to look out for them. And when we hear stories of horrific things happening, happening to children, our hearts are automatically softened to that. But for some reason, when a child turns 18, mm -hmm. we literally, call them hoes and whores and they're loose and they should be arrested for prostitution and they're no longer seen as a potential victim or even a victim they're just seen as a promiscuous person mm -hmm. and i mean don't even get me started on the racial divide because there's been studies yeah. where african-american girls at the age of 13 by age 13 mm -hmm. they're seen they're seen by society as promiscuous as loud as all these negative connotations so there, there's so much there's so much to this conversation um, but we have to start seeing girls females and women specifically as equals and as worthy of love uh and and it doesn't matter what they're wearing or what they do for a living mm -hmm. so uh, that's just my that's just my opinion yeah I could be wrong. absolutely what unique challenges have you seen with the women that you serve during COVID-19? Like I know for us, our clubs are closed down for a while. They're back open mm. now. Yeah. Um, and so I know that like some of our girls were engaging in more private mm -hmm. dances and mm -hmm. who knows what else mm -hmm. and a little more risky situations. Have you seen um, impacts of COVID-19 on the women that you are serving? Yeah, the impact has been huge because here, here's the situation as a whole. A lot of the girls, at least in our clubs, they started dancing when they were very, very young. Either they were underage or they were 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah. That's all they've done. That's all they've done. Yeah. So pandemic or not, as soon as you close those clubs and you say, okay, like we're, we're shut down, who is going to hire these girls with nothing on their resume other mm -hmm. than being a stripper that pays them a livable wage to provide for their children? Mm -hmm. that's the issue so yeah. of course escorting and camming and selling nude photos and sex tapes that becomes appealing because that becomes your option okay yeah. the sex industry preys upon those with the fewest options so I, I was telling a guy a few months ago we were driving in my car and he said oh i can't wait till all these clubs are shut down he didn't know what i did for a living <laughs> Put it that way and i said great okay so the club shut down are you going to hire the 60 girls you know, are you going to hire all of them tomorrow? 
because they need jobs. They have families. What are they supposed to do? It's going to go underground. They're going to start escorting. Yeah. And, and that's a whole other world that leads to very bad things. So at least in the clubs, they have somewhat of a protection of a bouncer mm-hmm. and of a manager um, who can't, who can cover them. But I mean, of course, my heart is for every woman to run out of these clubs and be so in love with Jesus that they never want to go back. But we have to also be realists of the situation at hand, that our societies are not ready for the influx of women who will need assistance, therapy, jobs, childcare when they leave the sex industry. We're just not ready for that. Totally. Absolutely. Every word of that, because that's entirely what we've seen too. And there's a town about six hours from us also in North Dakota. And they had the first strip club outreach um, in our state. And I got to learn from the people who led that and their clubs shut down. And it was actually a really sad thing for them because Mm. they were like, a lot of our girls, we don't know where they're going. They're, they're not sticking around, you know, like we, we at least had this tie to them and this relationship with them when the clubs were open and now, right, right. like, not only are they might be in more dangerous situations, but we just, it's so easy to lose contact with them yeah. um, if they're yeah. not there. So they're, it's a more complicated thing than just shutting down strip clubs. Exactly. You know, it's a lot exactly. bigger picture than that. And yep. I know there's a, there's a girl I'm working with right now who I met her through the club and we're walking with her through a lot of life stuff. And she only worked at the club for a few weeks. And so sometimes it's like on paper, it's not this big dramatic, like, oh, she worked there for years and then she, you know, quit or whatever. But it's like, she's, she worked there for a few weeks, but at the same time, she's a really vulnerable woman that we got to connect with in that short space of time. Yeah. Who still needs love and support, even if she's, you know, two plus years out of the industry. Mm Mm-hmm. Surely. Do you yeah. feel like sometimes there's, after people are out there, you know, oftentimes and sometimes Christian lingo will use rescued, you know, like, mm. mm-hmm. do you feel like there's less compassion for working with them and attending to their needs and funding their needs? I think people use the term rescue um, because they don't know another term to use. I like the word, um, restore, restoration, even recovery. I hate the term rescue just because when I think of human trafficking rescue, I think of FBI and SWAT going into a abandoned shack in the middle of the woods and rescuing all these kids that are crying and hugging the officers and saying, thank you for rescuing me. Like, like that's Mm -hmm. what I think of when I think of human trafficking rescue. Um, quote unquote, the rescuer could be the person who calls the human trafficking hotline because they see a suspicious Mm -hmm. person. Um, The rescuer could be the social service worker who picks up on the red flag. The rescuer could be the youth pastor who notifies the parents of the perpetrator that's trying to get to their kid through their cell phone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, 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 I think rescue is a good word, but I feel like if we say rescue, it makes it sound like we're the heroes. And I think our first and and foremost objective should just be love and servitude and um, assisting in their restoration, but that's their call. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't, we can't force feed anybody, anything. 
Okay, if they're in the sex industry and they want to stay there, if they're with their abuser and they're not ready to leave and they want to stay and they've been with them for 20 plus years and they choose to stay, we can't get them out. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're a minor, it's different. But if they're an adult, there's only so much we can do. We just have to be their friend and support them and let them know that we're here, regardless, regardless Mm -hmm. um, what decisions they make. Absolutely. And sometimes it just won't have the labels or be as fancy or as flashy mm-hmm. as, yeah. as sometimes we uh, can, you know, visualize it to be or idolize it to be mm. very, yeah. it's very real people yeah. with messy, real lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think we need to touch base on the Wayfair um, okay. hullabaloo. <laughs> okay I don't, I don't entirely know what to call it um i mean okay. conspiracy theory is probably the best term for it but uh, yeah sure. sure what what was your initial response to wayfair um how have you what has been kind of your process of figuring out okay do i believe this is legit or yeah, not absolutely. what sources do you go to mm-hmm. So first of all, I, I will preface this by saying I am so open to conspiracy theories. Like I don't believe them all. Like like you know the, you have like the mm-hmm. ladder theory, and you have you know we didn't actually go to the moon, and like you have some ones that have some cool rabbit trails. <laughs> Not necessarily I believe them, but yeah. I mean at two in the morning when I'm bored, I have no problem watching some YouTube conspiracy theory videos. You know, yeah. through, through a filter. You know, yeah. um, so. How I heard about the whole Wayfair situation was I literally woke up and my Facebook messenger was full mm-hmm. and it was all full with different articles saying Wayfair, Wayfair. And honestly, I just ignored it. Cause I was just yeah. like, you know, like, whatever, I don't know what this is. Like people send me random articles all the time. And, um, you know, it, it I just, you know, I, I really kind of blew it off. I opened a few and just saw the headline. It was like, okay, like, like I'm over it. But then I started saying it was like a thing. Like it, it became mm-hmm. a, a thing yeah. um, on social media. So of course, we had to start looking into it because, okay, people are going to be turning us, turning to us as quote unquote ex- experts in this field um, mm-hmm. for clarification. So I started looking into it and immediately my first reaction was, this isn't how trafficking works in America. Like that, that was my first yeah. thing because when I got into it, the idea was that children, missing children were being trafficked in filing cabinets. That was like the, 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 um, the first um, layer of messaging. The, yeah, the first layer of messaging I received was was that, and then obviously you go deeper and deeper and deeper. Is okay, these filing cabinets are made named after missing children, and maybe they're not actually in the filing cabinets. Maybe this is just a transactional thing because in order to buy something over ten thousand dollars at Wayfair, you get transferred to um, a, a specific um, customer service representative on the executive level, and they have to approve the transaction. And, and it's just a bunch of stuff. It's a big rabbit hole, but. Yeah. My first reaction was, this is not how trafficking works in America. Um, and number two, this is, this is the problem, is that trafficking does happen on the internet. Children Absolutely. are being sold on the internet. Like, yes, that's been going on forever. Mm-hmm. Children are being sold on the internet. But in my opinion, in my personal opinion, they're not being sold through retailers like Wayfair yeah. or Walmart or Amazon or whoever else. No, they're being sold on known prostitution websites. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how easy it is to buy a kid and how out in the open it truly is. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
the whole conspiracy thing of this is happening on the uh, uh, on Wayfair. No, like it's happening on the deep and dark web. Like it's yeah. happening through private VPNs and servers, you know, based in in London that people are connecting their computers to. It's not happening through Wayfair. Are you kidding me? So, um, of course, I reached out to fed- some federal agents I know, some officers I know and trust, some people who have been, you know, who have dedicated their life to human trafficking from a law enforcement um, perspective. And yeah. of course, immediately, immediately, they all said that's not how trafficking works. That's sensationalized. That's, you know, that's, it's just so, like I said before, misinformation contributes to the misidentification of potential victims. And it was hard. It was frustrating to see uh, even people on my team, even even some of my volunteers Mm -hmm. hearing some of this stuff because the general public, you know, they're looking to us and our team to, to provide clarity on stuff like this and I just had to keep reminding my friends and our volunteers that what do we know about trafficking we know it is happening Mm -hmm. through websites but this whole situation started from a reddit thread from some random dude in his basement who had a theory and there has been no investigation on the federal level because there's nothing to investigate and even some of the quote-unquote missing kids who the filing cabinets, for whatever reason, may or may not have been named after, they have actually made Instagram videos saying, hey, I'm not missing. Mm-hmm. But then some people in the general public say, oh, like she's being held captive. You know, look, look, she's trying to hide stuff in the video. And oh, she's in a hotel room. And there's probably a trafficker. She, or her eyes keep looking to the left. So there's probably her abuser right there. Like, it's just a mess. It's never ending. But yeah. um my stance as of right now on July 28th is I have not seen any evidence that convinces me in any way that children are being trafficked through online department store retailers at all. Yep. And there's just, there's so many loopholes. So many different people have pointed out, like, why would you pay tax? Why would you be registered as a legal business? Like, And, and do you know how many people at Wayfair, they would have to yeah. have keep their mouth shut? Like, like, seriously, like mm-hmm. we're talking, we're talking transporters, we're talking executives, we're talking people who do the taxes and, and do the money. We're, t- I mean, we're talking, yeah, we're talking a big operation here. Mm-hmm. So, so can I, you explain a little bit more about what do sex trafficking rings look like? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's also a great question. It's, and that's also a hard question to answer because it could look mm-hmm. different everywhere geographically it could look different in las vegas than it does in in suburbia um it could look different in um a a poverty stricken community than it does in beverly hills um you you know so that's that's hard to say and i do want to say that i 100 percent believe that there are elite pedophile rings i have worked with victims of billionaires i have worked with, Mm -hmm. with survivors who have clients that are celebrities and doctors and politicians and pastors and people that if I said their names, you would know their names. So I a hundred percent do want to say on the record that I believe there are stuff happening and people very high up in society are fueling it hundred percent, a thousand percent. Um, so trafficking rings, I, I really want to go back to the internet. The influx of the, of the internet really has changed what trafficking looks like because before the internet we were looking at street prostitution as our number one 
you know, thing for, for mm-hmm. potential trafficking. We're looking at hotels and motels. Um, but now in this digital age, it's all being done online. It's yeah. people are selling themselves or a trafficker selling them, or you're selling kids on, on these websites. It doesn't take much to find the websites. Like I said, people don't realize how easy it mm-hmm. is to buy and sell a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And that's hard to say, and that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. Yeah. Um, it's even easier to buy or sell an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people are just uneducated. And if I had to make a blanket statement of what a trafficking ring looks like, um, I mean, all I can think of to say is that there's usually a top, you know, you have your trafficker. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the trafficker appoints someone as his bottom girl. Um, and that girl is essentially both a trafficker and a victim at the same time. It's usually the person, the, the female who has been with that trafficker the longest and who he trusts the most. And oftentimes you'll see in the trafficking ring or in the trafficking family or, or whatever is you'll see girls try to compete for that position because that position is considered a place of honor. And you're like his number one girlfriend, basically. And, and it's validation. It's validation that I'm important. And, um, so the structure of a ring is usually that it's usually you have one main person, unless you have a gang, sometimes you will have a gang of, you know, a handful of of people who will be the traffickers. Um, and they each have their own bottoms, but I'd say typically you have one person at the top, you have a bottom girl, and then you have your, your, um, your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Network of clients. Network. Sure. Um, so you're, you're, your network of, of people you are exploiting and traffickers are very smart. It's rare. You see a trafficker arrested. I believe it's 0.03% of traffickers are arrested. And the reason behind that is because they have their bottom girls do all the dirty work and the bottom girl gets arrested. They're smart. They're just back collecting the cash. Um, they're not the ones who are running the illicit massage parlors. They're not the ones who are answering the phones at the escort agencies. They're not the ones who are doing the transports. Um, sometimes they are, but usually they're not, they have people who work for them. And, um, so it's a network. That's a very good word. It's a network. Um, but like I said, trafficking rings look different everywhere. Yeah. So it's hard to say, but that's the typical structure. So when people focus solely on elite sex trafficking rings, cause that's been a lot mm-hmm. of the, the hype lately has been really focused on that. Yeah. Is there risk of missing a lot of the trafficking that's actually happening in all other levels of society? Mm, yeah. Because that's been I one of my biggest concerns. Is I'm like, you know, it does it, happen yeah. with elites, but it also happens in the poorest of the poor. It happens in suburbia. It mm. happens mm. on reservations. It happens in small towns. It like, it yeah. happens everywhere. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a friend who... Um, was a former pimp mm-hmm. and um that's that's a whole whole big story his <laughs> book is amazing but yeah you know he didn't realize he was a trafficker mm-hmm. until he was sitting in the courtroom of one of his friends who was on trial for trafficking and yeah. as he was hearing you know what trafficking truly was he actually realized and self-identified oh my gosh i was a trafficker mm-hmm. so he grew up in a poverty situation all of his uncles were pimps. Um, and that was the thing to do. It was either selling yeah. drugs or pimping. 
And you can make more money pimping because your products, so to speak, you can sell them over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so what he would do, what he would do is that he would target his cousins. He would target family members. Mm-hmm. He would target girls in his school who were already promiscuous and not being paid for it. So mm-hmm. he came to them with a business deal saying, hey, you know, I'll get you people to sleep with. You'll get paid for it. I'll get a cut. I mean, you're already sleeping with people anyways. Mine's will get paid for it. Mm-hmm. So he becomes their pimp, right? So that's a form of pimping as well, where it's just the cultural norm. You grow yeah. up with it. It's normalcy to you and your family and your community that you don't even know that you're a trafficker because yeah. trafficking is seen as, like I said, the kidnap, the hostage, the um, transport across international borders. But that's mm-hmm. not the definition of trafficking. Yeah. Uh, it's so important to like make those distinctions. So for people who have been overwhelmed and have been feeling like, oh my gosh, there's just so much information. It's so hard to determine what is sensationalized and what is, um, you know, real sources, what's actually happening. Do you have a few pieces of advice for kind of how to navigate the information and then what to do about it? Number one, I would say, listen to the survivors, all the survivor voices right now in regards to Wayfair, in regards to the mask most of them, the vast majority are all saying the exact same thing. And I guess that's kind of what we echoed here today. Mm -hmm. Um, So follow survivors, Um, go on Facebook, follow Rebecca Bender, follow Becca, Becca Charleston, follow um, Sula Skiles, follow. uh, Oh my goodness. There's, there's just so many follow organizations that have a proven track record. And like I said before, you have to find your lane because some organizations only work overseas. Some organizations only work in America. Some work both. Um, So you really have to just do a little bit of research, do some Google searches, do some Facebook searches. You will Mm -hmm. find survivor leaders um, and survivor-informed organizations, people who have survivor on their boards, um, people who listen to the input of survivors. Because unfortunately, some organizations, some big organizations in America have no survivor input on their boards, Mm -hmm. on their teams nothing okay mm-hmm. so that's a whole other tangent but do some minimal research and find these speakers find these organizations who who are legit and um guidestar.com i'm sorry guidestar.org is a great resource you can type in any nonprofit and look up their irs documents and see how much is their ceo making mm-hmm. you know like Okay. I mean, for real, if you're bringing in a million in a year, a year and your CEO is walking away with a quarter of a million dollars, that's a problem. Yep. Okay. So look, do some basic research, educate yourself on the organization before you give a dime to them. That would be my first advice. Um, secondly, just have an open mind um, because the movie Taken did a lot of good in the sense that it brought awareness to human trafficking trafficking just that phrase human trafficking mm-hmm. taken with Liam Neeson was my first exposure to trafficking um or one of my first exposures I should I should say but as I've been in this work and, and like I told you about my friend who became the RA of a residential facility and was like you know this is nothing like I expected it's nothing like you expect so have an open mind be teachable be coachable listen yeah. to the people who are doing this work because because they they know some they know something okay just just have an open mind and be teachable would be my advice mm, that's good 
Okay, thank you so much, Nicole, for just giving your your wisdom, your expertise on this, because you are someone who this is your every single day job. This is your full time yeah. thing. This is what yeah. you do. Yeah. And um, we're so thankful for your work. If people want to support Lavished, um, do you want to tell them where to go? We'll make sure to link to it too, but tell them how they can be yeah, following so you or support you. Sure. So you can always follow us on Facebook. Lavish Ministries is our Facebook. And um, our website is lavishedministries.org. And let me spell it for you. It's L-A-V-I-S-H-E-D. So lavishedministries.com um, is our website. Perfect. Okay. We'll have all the goodies in the show notes. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Wasn't that such a fun encouraging, inspiring conversation. I am so thankful for Nicole and the work that she's doing. And I really want us as a community, as the Wild Abide, to go out and bless Nicole. I don't ask you guys for this often, and she didn't ask me to say this, but I really think it would be so cool to just be a generous community that would love and support women who are coming out of the sex industry and who are currently in the sex industry by putting our money where our mouth is. So if you are feeling led to donate, I would encourage you to donate at lavishedministries.com. There's a link in the show notes. And maybe consider becoming a monthly partner. Those monthly partners do so much good to further the cause of justice month after month. And Lavished also has just launched today an Etsy shop with survivor made products that are all going back to fund livable, real wages for women who are seeking to come out of the sex industry and provide them with jobs. So if you want to get your hands on some super cute Etsy things, then head on over and check that out. Okay, friends, I love you. I am for you. If you have any questions, please let me know and we can dive more into this in a future episode. Until next time, stay wild.